0: Valerie's my mother's name. Rush is for white
1: suburban boys.
0: Anybody remember cassettes? My tumor was the
1: Beyonce of uterine fibroids. This is the soundtrack series. The
0: soundtrack
1: series. Hey there, this is the soundtrack series. Stories about songs, the soundtrack to our lives, part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Dana Rossi. Okay. Forget everything you thought you knew, because we're throwing it all out the window, and this show is going to be totally different. Because coming up in mere minutes, I interview the creator of Night of a Thousand Stevies, Shishi Valenti, and I learn that I only thought I was a diehard
0: Stevie Nicks fan. These people are familiar with the patterns in her retinas. <laughs> oh <my> God. <laughs> For real. And they... From pictures that they took of her surreptitiously that night, they were able to match the retinas. I'm just passing this along. I don't. (laughs) But first, okay, I don't want to
1: throw you in the pool without your swimmies. That's terrifying. You know what this show usually is I yammer on about something, whatever. And then we have the story about a song. And then I say something about Twitter. And that's the show, pretty much. But sometimes, I don't know, sometimes it's your birthday. Sometimes it's a special day, and all these people are writing happy birthday on Facebook that you haven't talked to since culottes were a thing the first time around. So, sometimes a day is unique. But not totally crazy, because this show is stories about songs, the soundtrack to our lives, which means we're all talking about music from the viewpoint of the fan. No matter how it's done, it's about the fan, the person who is appreciating it, the person who the song is affecting. And so who better to interview for this show than the woman responsible for creating one of the biggest, longest-running, most beloved fan events of all time, Shishi Valenti, creator of the ultimate fan event, Night of a Thousand Stevies. A bit about Shishi. She is known as the New York City nightclub empress and founder of the Jackie Factory. And since 1980, she's been a prolific producer and performer in New York City nightlife. Events like Jackie 60, Click and Drag, Low Life at the Howl Festival, and then, of course, Night of a Thousand Stevies. Now, people come from all over the world to this thing. And I first heard about Night of a Thousand Stevies from my friend Jason. It has to be 15 years ago now. And I was still living in Philly at the time. And he was just kind of talking to me about it because he would go with his friend, who she is a really big Stevie Nicks fan. The the first time I met her, I think, we had all gone to a concert, and she was wearing... The Stevie Nicks, the the shawl that she always wears for stand back, the black shawl with the gold dots on it. So this woman means business. But they would go together, and he would tell me about, oh, we saw Debbie Harry perform, and Cyndi Lauper was there, and Boy George, and all this kind of stuff. And he said you should go. And so every year since that time, I have not gone. <laughs> I would imagine myself going, but I never went. Here's the thing: I'm shy. I know I'm shy though, when it comes to nightclubs and things like that, and even bars a lot of times, and I don't always feel like I belong there or I think that people are going to wonder why I'm there, like, what is she doing? Like, like that they're actually even going to be paying attention to me at all. I even, you know, it's funny, I worked on a TV show this past winter where we shot in a few nightclubs, but, so then it was fine, and then I was okay, because it was like, well, I'm working and I have a purpose here, so it's alright, but Otherwise, without that defense shield, I'm just awkward. So I've never gone to Night of a Thousand Stevie's. And I would only imagine going. And quite frankly, it's stupid of me to be like this. Because I'm sure that this event, for me, is probably like the video for No Rain by Blind Melon, you know, with the B-girl. And she's lonely and she's misunderstood. And then at the end of the video, she finds the meadow where all the other bee people are dancing around and they're happy. That would be me at Night of a Thousand Stevies, like, oh, I found all the other people dressed like bees. So this year, I'm going for a lot of reasons because it's time to get over all this nonsense and because I actually have a friend performing in it this year and because this is the 25-year anniversary and because she, she herself invited me. And I was not saying no to a woman that Mark Jacobs has called the Brooke Astor of New York City nightlife. So I'm going in my fabulous mad Hatter or top hat. Okay, now, if you don't know what Night of a Thousand Stevies is, and it's okay if you don't, though I do feel compelled to tell you that Night of a Thousand Stevies was the topic of a Jeopardy question once, so try to keep up. But if you don't know, you're about to. Does everyone know what Night of a Thousand Stevies is? <laughs> no, all right.
0: Night of a Thousand Stevies is... It is the best-loved Stevie Nicks fan event in the world. Mm-hmm. It is not a karaoke show. It is a night that you come, whatever age, gender, sex, political affiliation, or anything else, and unleash your inner Stevie.
1: I was calling it... I was saying I should probably stop, but I was calling it, like, Stevie Nicks Comic-Con, <laughs> basically.
0: There is that aspect to it, Yes. <laughs>
1: But but it, it's like everybody kind of coming dressed as her or as an aspect of her to honor her.
0: Yes, but there's also the religious invocation of the goddess.
1: Yes. Oh, I love it. Now, Night of a Thousand Stevie started in 1991.
0: That's correct. Okay,
1: which I think is really interesting, actually, because... 1991, as far as Stevie Nicks' career and her popularity, that, that wasn't a time that she was very popular. It certainly wasn't, you know, the 70s when she was at the height of her popularity. It was, it's not now where she's just known as this rock icon and she's everywhere. And this is just before when Fleetwood Mac performed at the Clinton inauguration, when they kind of were coming back. So that was 92, and then by 97 they were doing the dance, and then everybody was like, oh yeah, Fleetwood Mac we remember. So why Night of a Thousand Stevie's then? What made you decide to start it then?
0: I was one of the founders of a club called Jackie Sixty, which was over in the meat market, and that ran for the entire 1990s, and it was always themed events. Uh, Every single week, we would change the club totally for theme, and I had noticed going out to Stevie Nicks shows that I would run into the most legendary trans cabaret performers, people like Joey Arias Mm. Dean Johnson, the founder of Rock and Roll Fag Bar, Wendy Wilde, a lot of the very, very iconic performers of the 80s East Village drag renaissance, and they were all these enormous Stevie fans. So Stevie was absolutely, as you said, at the bottom of her kind of commercial popularity, but yet she was like being completely worshipped as some kind of totally alternative Wiccan kind of neo-Gothic female drag icon. And I I just thought that that really deserved its own night.
1: So when... The show began, what was the first show like? Did you start, because I know you do themes now where you do different periods in her career. Did you start it with themes? Did that come right out of the gate? Or was it, how different was it than it is now?
0: Well, when we started it, it was one night at Jackie 60 and it was the theme that week, just like we might be having a hip-hop night called Fear of a Blonde Pussy the following (laughs) week. So... We decided to do a Stevie Nicks night, and people were really baffled, but we, who were putting this on, absolutely adored her. We never thought that it would turn into any kind of annual, so we called it Mm Belladonna, a tribute to Stevie Nicks. And in our formula, we had several performances that night um, who were all drag people performing their different versions and some very satiric versions also of Stevie. The amazing thing, because we were a very small sort of unknown club in the meat market before any kind of explosion in the meat market, is that even then, with just Fleetwood Mac news groups to publicize this thing on, there was suddenly this crowd of like 50 people lined up who were all singing along to every single song that we were playing in the lounge. They had brought, some of them, their own shawls and tambourines. And right off the bat, we just said, we have really, really touched this nerve. We had no idea. That's how it turned into an annual event and basically grew every year from that night, which had uh, four performers and 150 people in the audience, to our current form is about 25 performance mm-hmm. segments, about 70 to 80 performers, and an audience of about 1,200 people. But that's over a 25-year period, and it very slowly evolved into that, which I think is is super important that it had this very organic growth. And that's that's my own thing that I believe in for nightclubs and this kind of work in general is that it can't you can't start saying, This is gonna be like this great event with millions of people are gonna wanna go. You have to start with this tiny event that your twenty friends want to come to. Yeah. And and then the rest comes from there.
1: So it's not a Stevie Nicks look alike contest or a karaoke contest or any contest. And I love that, and I wholeheartedly agree with that artistically. But there are performances throughout the night, and I asked Shishi what her formula is for booking a well-rounded event like this that covers all of the Stevie basses, because if everyone performing is just a singer-songwriter in a dress with a guitar, that's not Night of a Thousand Stevie's. That's Lilith Fair.
0: You're always kind of aware of not making it too... Weighted in terms of anything, uh, not just performance styles, but even um, established versus emerging uh, mm-hmm. performers. You're also really thinking about people who have interpretations, like puppetry or aerialist or things that have never been presented there before. We have things like Butoh interpretations of oh, wow. Stevie, which is one of our most popular interpretations. <laughs> oh my God, That's amazing. And um, some of the very slow Stevie stuff does very very well for Butoh and ballet.
1: Oh, so like her so Beauty and the Beast or
0: Well, Beauty you know. and the Beast instantly comes to mind, but yeah. last year they did This Butoh Rhiannon that also involved levitation of the main figure, and it was spectacular. Singing, dancing, burlesque, a
1: form of Japanese dance with a levitation element. There is more than one way to interpret Stevie Nicks as a performer and as a fan. But the thing is, these interpretations aren't just campy entertainment. And as Chichi was telling me, they can be illuminating. And other people's interpretations of what makes Stevie Nicks Stevie Nicks can actually teach you something about her that you never even considered before as people interpret her what have you learned about stevie nicks through other people's performances of her
0: that's such an interesting question i mean People are sometimes focusing in on something that I wouldn't necessarily find particularly important or or worth repeating. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they zero in on that makes me more interested in it. I don't find the the whole best hair and rock and roll situation so interesting. But there are people that (laughs) that live their life by it.
1: I'm one of those people obsessed with her hair. I'm not even going to hide it. Her hair in the 70s is a big reason I have bangs so at the live show at the live soundtrack series she she showed us a video of the battle which is the point in their show night of a thousand stevie's when All the performers get on stage and do Edge of Seventeen, a big culmination of the evening. Side note, I don't know if I ever told you this, but Edge of Seventeen got very real for me personally in 2001. Because I was at a Stevie Nicks concert and of 17 is the song that she does last. And so she walks across the stage and she's shaking everyone's hand in the crowd. Well, everybody that could get to the front. And I was right up there with my hand up and I can't believe this is going to happen. Stevie Nicks is actually going to touch me. And then just before she got to me, the woman that was in the crowd next to me reached up and yanked my hand down and put her own hand up in its place. And I only had seconds to act here, so I pulled my elbow up, the same one that she had yanked down, and I'd straight up clotheslined her. And then I reached up with my other hand to touch Stevie, so whose fault was that? But anyway, as I was watching the video that Shishi brought of the battle, and all these people on stage in their version of Stevie Nicks, I couldn't help but remember that I had read that Madonna actually attended one of these events. And the battle happens at, at every one. And so she must have seen that. And what goes through your head when you're Madonna and people are paying attention and homage
0: to someone that's not you? And so I just had to ask.
1: I, I read somewhere that uh, Madonna came to one of these.
0: Yes, but I'm, I'd rather not even discuss <laughs> oh, no. that aspect. But we did really enjoy having Courtney love.
1: Yeah. Who else? who else? Uh, Debbie Harry? Yeah, Debbie's there.
0: performed several times, and when she's in town, she wouldn't miss it.
1: She had uh, Justin Vivian Bond.
0: Several times.
1: Um, Cindy Lauper. Cindy yeah. Lauper,
0: Boy George. I mean, really yeah. a lot of people over the years.
1: But just as everybody else, like, coming to honor this performer. And that's the thing is, and, and like, I brought up Madonna to be silly, but, you know, it's the kind of thing that I, I guess in theory could work you know, a Night of a Thousand, because she has different periods in her career too, but no, there, there's a disconnect that there's something about this that just really does work where it wouldn't work for another performer. What is it about Stevie that fascinates you and makes you think that this works so well?
0: Well, the thing that anybody who's either a longtime fan or really has anything to do with Stevie's music realizes is that she stays remarkably true to yes. exactly who she is. And exactly the opposite of someone like Madonna, she doesn't bend to the style of a time, she doesn't bend her look, her music, or really anything else. You might see the slightest traces of Shannon esque sound in some in I can't wait, for example. <laughs> yeah. But that's more about slight nuances of production that mm-hmm. are that are of their time. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I mean, if you even look at her, her look, she stuck to it when she originated it, when it was the absolute antithesis of what was in style, and then through many more waves of style and fashion coming around to her and then leaving her. And, and pretty much the same with the music. So that's, yeah. I think it's, her, it's this enduring consistency yeah, that, that she makes stays- her different.
1: She does. She stays true to herself and to her style and to the music she's going to write. People have still been interested and they still are interested in her. So it does work. Now it is soundtrack series. So I did have to ask Shishi about her connection to Stevie's music personally. And I was shocked to learn that initially. She wasn't exactly a Fleetwood Mac fan. She got on board with Stevie at Stand Back.
0: Well, the first Stevie song that I ever heard, and it's wonderful that you used it as my intro, was "Stand Back." Because I was never a Fleetwood Mac fan. I wasn't a fan of any what I saw as popular music at the time that they were out. Because mm-hmm. that, I was just too much of a refuse nick, and had to, <laughs> you know, buy some obscure piece of vinyl somewhere or some Millie Jackson yes. B-side or something. So I never really saw them or got them at the time. But it was when Stand Back came out. My husband is a DJ, Johnny Dynell, and he mm-hmm. came up through many of the great DJ scenes, including the Paradise Garage, where he was a baby. But it was in Larry Levant's DJ booth that I first heard Stand Back, because the amazing thing about Larry is that if he liked it, he played it, and he didn't care what genre it was. Mm. And so he was rocking, you know, the Paradise Garage to stand back and he played it and the crowd didn't really like it and then he's like they're going to like it and a half hour later he played it again <laughs> And more people got out on the floor. And by the third time he played it that night, it was like it became a Paradise Garage classic record of its time.
1: What was you, what was played at Paradise Garage more so that this just oh, wasn't oh like Lolita
0: in. Holloway? Oh, okay. you know the greats of, yeah. that kind of started the entire female vocal gay dance world yeah. that just ballooned after. So that was um, that's where I first heard her, and I would say the lyric that always sticks with me is something that she recites at the end of a very sad song of hers um has anyone ever written Mm. anything for you and she just does this talking thing where she's repeating poet priest of nothing legend and that's to me her ultimate line
1: The live soundtrack series where I did this interview was packed. It was just about sold out. I think they had like two tickets left or something. And all of those people in this room, a lot of them coming up to me afterwards, telling me at different times, telling me that they weren't exactly Stevie Nicks fans, but they found all of this fascinating which I love to hear. But even then knowing that, I know that even if there were people that weren't really Stevie Nicks fans listening to this, I do know that the question on everyone's mind there that night was whether or not Stevie Nicks herself knows about a night when thousands of people gather to invoke her. Like, she must feel it. Like, like her ears ring or her left foot tingles or everything's itchy. But beyond anything having to do with telepathy or whether predicting arthritis pains she actually does know. She's known for some time. And in 2011, Stevie herself, via video, made a promise to everyone, a promise about someday. Now, Stevie Nicks is aware of this event and this is how aware of it she is, if we can just show this.
0: Everyone, welcome to A Night of a Thousand Stevies. (laughs) 21, The Wild Heart. Just remember, Someday, some night, some night of a thousand Stevie's, I will be there in such a great disguise that not one of you will know it's me until I walk on stage and begin to sing Edge of Seventeen. And then you'll know. But otherwise I will be completely in disguise. I hope you have a great, great time and I'm truly sorry I'm not there. And sing your little hearts out. Sing your little wild hearts out. I love all of you. I-
1: I have to know the story behind that video. How, how long has she been aware of this show? How did she find out?
0: I believe she found out in either our second or third year of doing it. And she told us years later that she found out from her flight attendants who informed her in first class, who informed her that they had gone in drag as her. And one showed pictures and he was in like thigh high boots, done as her. At this event called Night of a Thousand Stevies, and she's been a, a great supporter of it in her own way ever since.
1: And when, and when, how did that video come about, that address?
0: That came about finally four years ago. That year, she was actually going to be somewhere very near. She was going to be performing in Atlantic City, and I think they were planning on bringing her to surprise us in some way at the show, because she's never made it. And it was in a much smaller venue, and we were all like, oh my God, if she does come, where are we going to put her? And we were kind of freaked out. But as it turns out, she had developed this case of pneumonia and didn't make it. But even with pneumonia, she didn't make it to that whole leg of her tour. But even with pneumonia, she recorded that and sent it along, which I thought was just incredible. To be that invested in supporting the show in some way, to do that when she when she wasn't feeling well. I mean, nobody would ever know that she wasn't feeling well because she was total Stevie, and that's why she's a goddess.
1: It's funny because like she's pausing, and no one will know that it's me. <laughs> All of what Shishi has been telling me so far assumes. That Stevie hasn't come to the event yet, but that someday she will. She just hasn't yet. But there's always legend when it comes to things like this. And according to Shishi, it's possible that she has already been there at least once and not just in spirit.
0: There are these rumors that she did come one other time. Oh, when? In disguise as herself. The... LAUGHTER the last year that it was at Mother, which would have been um, 2000. Now, this has never been confirmed or not confirmed, and but there was this person who could have been her, like a few, like 600 others at that point. But that person had a bodyguard of some sort with them, and People who were in really deep, who are her fans, went to see her at other shows that year, and the same bodyguard was running the backstage. But that was, it wasn't just that; it's that these people are familiar with the patterns in her retinas. Oh my god! For real, and they from pictures that they took of her surreptitiously that night they were able to match the retinas I'm just passing this along I don't you know I don't believe or not believe in this but it's just at this point it's just part of the legend of the show whether it was her or not I'm falling behind
1: I, I thought I was a fan I'm not I don't know anything about the pattern of her retinas now this is a whole thing I have to learn
0: can we all agree that
1: was really crazy and I did all this time I only thought I was a fan. I don't know if I've told you this, but I'm not sure if I want to meet Stevie in person. I would talk to her on the phone because then she couldn't see my forehead sweating. I'm just so nervous about meeting her that if I do get a chance like that, I'm gonna be so weird because I'm so nervous and then it's not gonna go well and it's gonna ruin her music for me forever because then every time I hear Dreams or The Highwayman, from that point on, I'm just gonna think about the time I freaked out Stevie Nicks. And I'm not sure what I think in general. Should people meet their idols? So, I asked Shishi,
0: "Have you met her?" "No, I've never met her. We've had several phone conversations and we've done interviews with her, you know, over the phone. She's been involved several times doing especially animal rescue aspects to the show we usually do some kind of charity thing and um, so several times she sent us everything from paintings to actual customized tambourines that she's used in a show signed to auction off for these different causes especially a dog and bird charities do you
1: want to meet her in person
0: Absolutely. um, But if I was Stevie, I would never want to come to Night of a Thousand Stevies because it's it's so overwhelming. I mean, Stevie has this wonderful lyric, sometimes I'm surrounded by too much love. And even just as like the founder of this and and someone emceeing at it, sometimes at that event, I feel like I'm surrounded by too much love. So I can't even imagine what it would be like for her.
1: I mean, I I was asking uh, like if you want to meet her. I'm afraid to meet her because I'm afraid it's not going to go well. Or or you know what's gonna happen? It's gonna what's gonna happen is like what I did to you when I met you out front before, and I went, I'm just gonna hug you, and there was no indication at all that you wanted to hug me, and then and, and I felt silly and nervous, and that's what's gonna happen with Stevie Nicks is I'm gonna say oh you know what I'm just gonna hug you and then it's gonna ruin it and then the rest of my life whenever I hear Rihanna in her dreams I'm gonna think about the time that uh, you know I made myself hug Stevie Nicks when she didn't want me to and that's what I'm afraid so that's my question
0: it's like no I don't have any fears like that (laughs) don't you but I should
1: people meet their idols
0: I'm of two minds of that. I mean, I've met idols of mine and been completely so happy to have met them and and actually love them even more. And I would say Alan Ginsberg comes to mind as someone who I loved even more after I met him. And not to speak ill of the dead, but I have been a lifelong complete fan of Lou Reed's. But the night that I had to perform in the same show as him, and maybe it was just a really off night for him, I was very disappointed to have met him. But it still didn't change thinking that he's a brilliant musician or songwriter. So I'm of two minds about that. But also having having run a club that a lot of famous people or or music stars and stuff would would hang out at, or or having worked in clubs like that in my in my very very young days, I have a different take on. I don't get really starstruck easy. Yeah.
1: I don't. I mean, I think sometimes too, just living in New York, like that will exactly. take that out of you. Yeah. Um. But there are a few people, like someone like Stevie Nicks, where I'm like, I don't want to ruin this. You know, I don't want to ruin what I what yeah. I think of of her songs or of her. I want this to stay pure. Okay, so maybe I should do a warm-up first. Maybe someone I hold in demigod esteem. So it's like, first I meet Betty White, and then I'll be ready to meet Stevie Nicks. Now, I had a chance to talk to someone responsible for the biggest... Stevie Nicks geek out of all time. So, of course, I just wanted to talk Stevie for a minute. One woman wearing all black and a top hat to another. I have a couple of, uh, just as one Stevie fan to another, a little Stevie dish. This isn't trivia, really. It's more of like opinion questions where I definitely have an opinion. So now Reese Witherspoon, uh, Stevie has said that Reese Witherspoon will play me in the movie, but they've got to do it quick because she's getting old. (laughs) terrible idea. So who should play Stevie in her biopic?
0: Well, I think there should be several people playing her because the career oh. is so long. But I definitely think a more mature Stevie could be played really beautiful by Just- beautifully by Justin, Vivian Bond.
1: Oh, wow. That would be amazing.
0: And um, the very young connection to Stevie, that's the hard one to cast. And I guess the Reese Witherspoon, which I do see, could be like the one in the middle, but, the, but who would play the very, very young one?
1: I had had an idea, and now this is going to be almost like 10 years ago, though, but when I was watching, like, Friday Night Lights on Netflix, stay with me... <laughs> She plays the daughter of, like, the coach and his wife. And it was her name is Amy Teagarden, I think. And I always used to watch this girl and be like, she looks so much like a young Stevie Nicks. Like, tiny nose and just, like, the brown eyes and everything. And I would always just sit there, like, and picture her in, like, you know, kind of the wild wig and everything. And I'm like, that would be a good young Stevie Nicks. Regardless of of how she could act. I was like, just put her up there.
0: I guess we've had so many generations of that female young and, and just have that realness of the very early, you know, very slim Stevie in the, yeah, in the butterfly willowy. cut. So I've seen, I've just seen so many generations of that, that I tend to look back at like, who was that perfect Stevie in like 2002 or something. Right, so <laughs> yes. I would be the worst to ask.
1: I did it anyway. Um, So I want to go back to music video. You know, Fleetwood Mac should have made a great transition from the 70s into the 80s with music video because a lot of artists suffered because they just weren't sexy. you know. And so then the music video medium comes along and then it's like, oh, we don't know what to do in front of a camera. But that band was all about sex. It should have been amazing. And it wasn't... (laughs) They just oh, their videos in the eighties are just real and then like it just there's a disconnect and there's they're just uncomfortable in music videos and that whole thing would stand back. So this is the thing. What is the best, in your opinion, the best Stevie Nicks video train wreck?
0: I think the I I really think the exercising parts of anything are the, the furthest away from Stevie. She should never go into yeah. exercise. It just doesn't go with everything else. No.
1: That's why you actually mentioned uh, the song earlier that I think is is the biggest train wreck, which is I can't wait. Yeah,
0: well, that's yeah. that's up there.
1: Um, there's one thing she does in the video where she's just standing there and she like hits the tambourine over her head. That's just a perfect moment. The rest of the video is completely. She just she's just staring into the camera and there's a piece of hair like in her mouth and you know she just wants to move it and then she moves it. It's it's like. <laughs>
0: So you're Wonderful. in really, really deep.
1: I am, but I don't know the patterns of her retinas, so how deep could it be? All right, boldest hair choice. What was Stevie's boldest hair choice?
0: Well, a perennial favorite of mine, and it's quite obscure, is something that we call shredded wheat. <laughs> Which is yeah. when it's all piled up and it looks like shredded wheat and it's in kind of a Gibson girl. Yeah. That was mine too. Uh, that was around the time of the Wild Heart. Um, yeah, yeah.
1: It was like 82, 83. She got this completely bizarre haircut that was like a, a weird frizz. perm frizz yeah. at the top, and then she would still have hair yeah. coming down. <laughs> Not a mullet. Yeah, it was like a Gibson girl, then also a mullet. I yeah. don't. Yeah, that that was bold. That was We're it calling for it bold. Me. And
0: she's had some fabulous hair. Oh I yeah, have to say because um, I have many versions of it in my closet. <laughs>
1: What you say is the best Stevie Nicks B-side?
0: Oh, there's, there's so many great ones. Uh, a Japanese B-side of Street Angel, which is called Inspiration, which is super obscure. Wow, yeah. It, it's a beautiful song, and if you ever come across the Japanese bootleg of Street Angel. It's, mm-hmm. it's, I don't know if it was a bootleg, but no, I think it was just a Japanese pressing with different things on it. I love this era because we get aware of all of this stuff that we used to just hear on really bad demo tapes. <laughs> And now we're getting like digital copies of, of more rare stuff and nuggets, because if you've been doing a show like this for, for 25 years, it's like you do love all the what we call the big songs, but it's it's really the little ones. Another small song of hers, which I think is genius, is Imperial Hotel. And that's oh, that's yeah. also where she does something that's... Some old fan of the show um, used to call her Slaughtering a Goat voice, where she's like, <laughs> She lives in, in the you know, it's very, I, I don't do that one justice, but. And uh, just, uh, what do you think, what's her most powerful lyric? Well, this year, it changes for me, but I, I guess it's um, timeless is the creature who is wise because that's the lyric that we're, that inspired this year. Um, I think for her entire career, it's probably dreams unwind, loves mm-hmm. the state of mind. It's definitely up there. Um, most of Rihanna, I think, is the most iconic Yeah writing and you could you can just pull you could pull 5 out of there the whole idea that she is somewhat parallel to this goddess that rises every 1000 years i think is a good way for any great rock star to see themselves
1: yes and that's why
0: you would have such an event.
1: So Night of a Thousand Stevies this year, Friday, May 1st.
0: Friday, May 1st at Irving Plaza and we are well on our way to being sold out so please don't wait till the last week to buy tickets. Hop on it. Thank you. Whether you're discovering the show this year or you've been with us for the 25 years, it's a total pleasure.
1: And that's it. That's our episode for this go-round. This has been the Soundtrack Series. And yes, it's the greatest Stevie Nicks fan event in the world. It's Stevie Nicks Comic-Con. Shishi, I swear that's the last time I call it that. It's Night of a Thousand Stevies. This year, it's at Irving Plaza on Friday, May 1st. I'm going, and it'll be the second time this year I have somewhere to wear my top hat. To quote Judith Hill in 20 Feet from Stardom, my dreams are huge. As always, you can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, right here where you found us, and deep within your wild, wild heart. This has been the Soundtrack Series, part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. Thanks for
0: listening.